the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar-admitted attorney and also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. Oh, in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees of law, one as a master of the laws of taxation law, and the other as a master of the laws of intellectual property law. As such, and because of my training experience and interest, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and taxation law. And I'm also proud to say that as part of my practice, I also seek to vindicate the rights of seniors who are sometimes victims of financial elder abuse. I'm so pleased to be able to come to you again today from the beautiful KFAX studios in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area to discuss some of the pressing financial issues confronting families and small business owners. But once again, I must have you please note that this show does not provide legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful as you begin your search for more detailed information on any of these topics that is And your detailed information must be tailored towards your specific set of facts and circumstances. And the goal here is to help you develop an outline of at least some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find qualified professional help. This week, once again, I'm going to continue to hold down the pause button on my analysis of the two major corporate bankruptcies in the news today. One, Sears Holding Company which filed in the Southern District of, Cali- of not California, of New York on October 15, 2018, and the other PG&E Corporation that filed earlier in January, um, well, in late January, but earlier than today, in the Northern District of California. As the focus of my discussion to compare these two bankruptcies to some of the issues that might be brought to the bear if you file a small business bankruptcy or a family bankruptcy, because some of the issues, uh, although they're gargantuan in big corporate bankruptcy, they're you know miniaturized 
down to smaller business bankruptcies, and sometimes the same issues crop up when a family has to file for bankruptcy. And the, the reason uh, uh, why I'm keeping the pause button down is these two bankruptcies are going to be in the news for quite some while, especially since, for example, PG&E, it's been estimated that it's going to take at least two years to solve the myriad of issues raised by all the competing parties of interest in that case, including Governor Newsom, the California legislature, the California Public Utilities Commission, the district court that's supervising uh, PG&E's criminal activities, and the federal regulatory, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, as well as the thousands of everyday small business and large business suppliers and vendors, just to name a few of the parties in interest. And as for Sears, although on February 7, 2019, the bankruptcy court overseeing that case approved Sears Holding Company's sales to its former chairperson, Edward Lambert, for $2.5 billion, that the Bankruptcy court hopes will avert liquidation of the business and thereby preserve tens of thousands of jobs. Sears's long-term viability is still in question. So, as I said, these two big corporations will be in bankruptcy or in the news for the next several months, and so we'll have an opportunity to look at them as um, time evolves. In the meantime. Inasmuch as I've heard from several of you out there in radio land who'd like me to focus on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and how it will affect your tax return now that we're in tax season. So the good steward as I try to be, I'm going to try to respond to the needs of my audience. So as you recall, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 became the law of the land on December 22, 2017, and it took effect January 1, 2018. As such, it has the rules and regulations that dominate how we are going to file our tax returns this year. So just by way of just a little bit of background, on December 20, 2017, the House and Senate passed H.R. House Resolution 1, an act to provide for the reconciliation pursuant to Title II and Title V of the concurrent resolution for the fiscal budget. All of that gobbledygook means that instead of the bill being thought out, planned, and having people come before the different committees in Congress to discuss the pros and cons of implementing the massive reach, uh, reconstruction of, of the tax code, it was tacked on to a budget resolution bill, and it passed Congress technically by the speed of light. So there's lots of hinky things going on uh, in this bill, but nonetheless, it is the law of the land. So I, I'm going to reiterate some of the key repeals affecting individuals and families. First off, the there was a Section 1304 repeal of the deduction for personal casualty losses. So what is a casualty loss? A casualty loss 
is a loss that an individual or a family or a business might suffer that's not related to operating a business. An example of a casualty loss are the damages and the losses that occurred as a result of the fires that we've had in Northern California and the fires and the mudslides that have occurred in Southern California. These are considered to be casualty losses. Now, it's not that it's casual. It's just that it's uh, a loss that comes under the property and casualty component of an insurance policy. So, again, a loss via fire that's not covered by your insurance. It could be someone breaking into your home and running off with all of your property that's not covered by insurance. Those kinds of losses have historically been deductible from your tax returns. But this new hinky Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 did away with it. So, again, Section 1304, under the prior law, an individual could claim an itemized deduction for personal casualty losses, i.e. losses not connected with a trade or business or entered into for profit, including property losses arriving from fires, a storm, being shipwrecked, or other casualties uh, or other kinds of losses such as theft. Uh, Now, you were able to write off these uh, losses generally for excess over the amount that you were insured. However, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, the deduction for personal casualty losses have generally been repealed. The provision take effect for the tax year beginning after 2017, which is 2018, which is the tax year that you and I are scurrying around trying to uh, research um, and prepare our tax returns for it now as they are due unless we get an extension on April 15th of this year. Another surprising uh, deduction that has been taken away is the repeal for the deduction for tax preparation expenses. And this is totally puzzling to me. Inasmuch as we're undergoing a change in the tax law, it would be, or one would believe that you need to seek out professional help from a tax preparer now to make sure you don't do anything that's wrong. But uh, under the new law, an individual will be allowed an itemized deduction for um, the not, you will not be um, authorized a deduction for tax preparation expenses effective this year. And um, the reason why, and I've got to tell you, um, these are ways to recoup some of the monies that are needed to run our government in as much as there has been a large uh, t- across-the-board tax deduction for major corporations and individuals with high net worth. So this and the loss of the casualty loss deduction go into a pool of funds that are going to be used to replace those amounts, in my opinion. Also, another uh, deduction that has been uh, repealed is the medical expense deduction. Under the former law, a taxpayer could 
claim an itemized deduction for out-of-pocket medical expenses for the taxpayer, his or her spouse, or his or her dependents. This deduction was allowed only to the extent the expenses exceeded 10% of the taxpayer's gross adjusted gross income. Um, again, this is presumed by the people that scored this bill behind the scene. And what I mean by scored, generally when a new piece of legislation is brought to the fore, the governmental accounting office scores it and sees if it's going to make money or lose money. And then that's part of the appropriations and evaluation process. That didn't happen this time, but it's estimated behind the scene that this will save money, uh, that will create money for the government. So we're going to take a, a, a pause right here, and when we come back, we're going to continue to discuss some of the highlights of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back. As we continue our discussion of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and I'm sharing with you all some of the major deductions that have been eliminated for families and small business owners. Um, Again, I've heard from you y'all out there in radio land and you wanted to focus on wanted me to focus on helping you discover or point you in the direction where you can find information that can help you prepare your tax returns. So let's move on to the repeal of the deduction for alimony payments. So some of you are saying, well, I don't care. I'm I'm not getting divorced or I'm not divorced. Well, unfortunately, um, even people of faith sometimes find ourselves unable to continue on in our our marriages. And quite frankly, the repeal of the deduction of alimony payments has public policy implications that affect us all. First, let me tell you what it is. Under the former law, alimony payments generally were an above-the-line deduction for the payer and included in the income of the payee. So what does that mean in English? Mostly um, men who are the breadwinners who make the most money, a way for them to feel more generous about cutting a larger check to, and usually it was the, the wife, sometimes a wife who did not work outside the home, and for their children... If the breadwinner would make a large contribution in the form of alimony to care for his former spouse and children, the breadwinner was able to deduct that expense from his taxes, thereby not having to pay so much taxes. And the amount paid to the former spouse to create the home for the um, the party that's left behind, as it were, would be included in and generally her taxes for the year. What that de- did was spread out the tax uh, liabilities amongst the parties. Now, generally, 
the spouse, especially if she, and I say that in quotation marks because sometimes it's he, um, doesn't make a, a lot of money, she would not have to pay a lot towards taxes. And again, the breadwinner, the former breadwinner, major breadwinner in the family would have his and mostly his, but sometimes her taxes reduced. Now there's no incentive for the person that made the most income or very little incentive other than out of a moral uh, or some um, other reason, religious reason to believe that it, it is the breadwinner's duty to help support the former family. Now what happens if someone doesn't care about supporting his or her family? It rests on the rest of society to help make sure that the former low-income or no-income spouse and generally her children are taken care of. So I think that even though maybe we not might not believe that divorce is appropriate, it happens. And when it does, there are two families that need to be taken care of. And the tax code of the past help make that happen more than this new provision. Anyway, that's my opinion. Also, there's the repeal of moving expenses. So you used to be able, in the good old days of last year and before, if you got a transfer for a job, move out from um, New York to come out to the Bay Area to work, you could, uh, as far as what it is your employer didn't reimburse you, count that as a uh, a tax deduction. Well, under the new law, it's repealed except for members of the armed services who are under orders to transfer back from Germany to uh, the Bay Area. So that's um, quite a blow for um, individuals who are in jobs and maybe they need to move and maybe they're moving from New York out to the Bay Area was to get a new job. So, you know, they're totally um, out of that expense. They will not get any consideration uh, under the tax code. Also terminated is the deduction and exclusion for contributions made to your medical savings account. I really don't understand this, but let me just tell you, under the former law, an individual could claim an above-the-line deduction for contributions to an Archer medical savings account and exclude from income the employer's contribution. Um, This made sense because it helped people be able to pay their out-of-pocket medical expenses. Now, um, if your employer makes a contribution, the employer no longer gets a deduction And you don't get a deduction. So that's another harsh one, and it's believed that that's going to save substantial amount of money to help make the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act financially viable. Um, Okay, and also another deduction that's been done away with is expenses for trader business of an employee. Okay, in the good old days... At one time in my career, I was an outside salesperson. I um, designed computer systems for some major businesses here in the Bay Area. My company was headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts. 
they and I thought it best that I work out of my home here in the Bay Area, and I got a lot of my expenses covered by my employer, but some of them were my expenses that were not covered. I was able to take a deduction for those expenses. It made it worthwhile for my company to not have to find a place for me to be housed out here. I was housed in my own home. I got incentives. I could do my mileage from my house to my first uh, sales call and was able to deduct everything after that. That's gone away with. This is going to impact negatively, in my opinion, again, outside salespeople who are, you know, remote from their home office. And even if you were not remote from your home office, it made sense for you to do some things to have a small home office uh, in your house such that you could be able to, you know, work at home for the convenience of your company. Um, You will not be able to take any of those deductions or you or in order to take those deductions, please consult with um, your your tax preparer to make sure that you don't run afoul of of the law. So I, I, those are just some of the the, the highlights, and um, I've tried to share with you some of the public policy implications, and there are many. Um, I, it's it's no it should be no secret that I don't think that this Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was really um, legislated properly. Um, again, what generally happens is when major bills are going to be put before Congress, um, they are well thought out. Parties from from all sides of an issue have an opportunity to make oral or at least written uh, presentations to the members of the committee, and all that is digested and it's analyzed by the government accounting office, and then it's scored as to its fiscal impact uh, on running uh, our country, and then uh, the legislative bodies decide if it makes sense, and if it makes sense, they vote for it. If it doesn't make sense, they don't. But like I said, this particular bill was started and passed in like seven weeks, and so, you know, when you don't do your homework and thoroughly exercise the intellectual properties of issues before they're voted on, you sometimes come out with things that really don't make sense. Now, again, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is permanent for corporations and individuals with high net worth. It's temporary for individuals, families, and small business owners, meaning that it sunsets at the end of 2025. So some of the things that um, um, negatively impact uh, consumers will go away. But it's why do we have this eight-year period with this strange kind of um, tax deductions that harm uh, or have the potential of harming families and, and small business people. Again, I, um, I although I once uh, was a lobbyist, I lobbied for consumers and small business people. And um, if if anyone had asked me, <laughs> I would have said that this was not such a great deal. But you know, it's the law of the land, and so 
I, as I always say on this show, you need to seek out qualified professional advice to help you figure out if there's any way you can come out of this tax season whole. But we're starting to hear from people around the country who thought they might get a substantial um, tax refund, and they're finding out that they owe money to the government. Because part of this process was that individuals were supposed to um, change their withholding. And because this bill was passed in a rush, um, it didn't, the news didn't get out. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And so now uh, we're having to uh, suffer the results of the whirlwind. But at any rate, I'm going to continue this discussion next time uh, talking about some of the implications for small business owners Uh, So in the meantime, as I like to sign off, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, especially when we're dealing with the IRS. Take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.